If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of October 18, 2020. The podcast that distributes the chaos. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's epoxidize the news of the bogus. All along, we've been critical of lockdowns, and now the WHO has finally come out against them as a way of controlling COVID-19. It'd be nice if they were as up on the science as we are, since this podcast is just a schmo on the internet, and they're an international organization created for this very purpose. But anyway... The WHO's special envoy on COVID-19 has urged world leaders to stop, quote, using lockdowns as your primary control method. Dr. David Nabarro told The Spectator, quote, We in the World Health Organization do not advocate lockdowns as the primary means of control of this virus. The only time we believe a lockdown is justified is to buy you time to reorganize, regroup, rebalance your resources, protect your health workers who are exhausted, but by and large, we'd rather not do it. He mentioned the tourism and small farming industries as examples and said that the lockdowns were creating poverty and possibly a doubling of world poverty and child nutrition by next year. Quote, This is a terrible, ghastly global catastrophe, actually, and so we really do appeal to all world leaders, stop using lockdowns as your primary control method. Remember, Lockdowns just have one consequence that you must never ever be little, and that is making poor people an awful lot poorer. Meanwhile, 15,000 scientists at respected institutions like Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford have signed a petition calling for an end to COVID lockdowns, instead favoring a policy of focus protection. Signatories also include over 60,000 private citizens from all around the world and from every political affiliation. They mention the negative effects on both short- and long-term health that we've been warning about since the beginning. Lower vaccination rates, worsening cardiovascular disease, fewer cancer screenings and treatments, and increasing mental health issues. Keeping these lockdowns in place until a vaccine is available will cause irreparable damage, probably even greater and certainly more long-term than the virus itself, and hitting the underprivileged disproportionately hard. That's pretty much exactly what three eminent epidemiologists said in a joint statement published on Unheard. Their position is pretty much exactly what we've been saying on this podcast and what I've been saying on my YouTube channel this whole time. Quote, The most compassionate approach that balances the risks and benefits of reaching herd immunity is to allow those who are at minimal risk of death to live their lives normally to build up immunity to the virus through natural infection while better protecting those who are at highest risk. We call this focused protection. Meanwhile, as we've covered, the data continue to show the lockdowns have had little effect on the spread of coronavirus, something we've been consistently seeing this whole time. Breakbats to the BBC and other news media outlets for making it sound like they were calling for new lockdowns. A few of them used a four-week lockdown as an example of giving healthcare systems time to prepare. They didn't say we should do it for four more weeks of lockdowns. They said the lockdowns should have been four weeks all total. And the media, and again the BBC in particular, keep stylizing this as letting the virus run wild. For crying out loud, people, this is a pandemic, not an apocalypse. 
Herd immunity is not a strategy. It is a recognition of biological reality. The strategy is not letting the virus run wild. It's to protect the vulnerable while letting the healthy, low-risk population get on with their lives. Now, some of you may be wondering how I've been so far ahead of the game all this time. Well, I haven't. It's politicians and the news media being behind the game through their ignorance. Because all I've been doing is going by the standard scientific thinking based on all the epidemics and pandemics we've been encountering for thousands of years and everything science has learned about them. And it's not as if we haven't learned this same lesson from the past we did with the HIV epidemic by going crazy and trying to separate every single HIV positive person from every aspect of our lives. I mean, really, the whole official response to COVID in most countries has been more like kindergartners afraid of getting cooties than actually dealing with a pandemic the way we know how to. If you're looking for ways to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand advertisements, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to listen to the podcast and all of my videos on BitTube.tv or LBRY.tv to get cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. Or if you listen to the podcast at the podcast page, you'll also generate crypto. You can also go to Airtime.Bogosity.tv to get the Airtime extension and generate crypto for yourself and the creators on the web anywhere you go, including my YouTube channel. Get five tubes free just for installing the extension and signing up. And then simply browse the web as normal. Easily monetize your favorite creators and yourself with cryptocurrency without advertising on BitTube.tv or LBRY.tv or with the Airtime extension at Airtime.Pagosity.tv. Our next two stories deal with the Kyle Rittenhouse self-defense shootings. We've talked about them in detail before, so I won't summarize. Check the archives if you want to know the details of what happened. One of the things that was clear on the videos that were taken is that Kyle Rittenhouse did not shoot first. Someone else fired. We can see the muzzle flash on the video, and it isn't even anywhere near Rittenhouse. That was when Rittenhouse was attacked by Joseph Rosenbaum and fired his first shots. We now know that the person who fired that shot was Joshua Zeminski. As confirmed by additional video, he fired his gun into the air as Rittenhouse was being pursued by Rosenbaum. Zeminski was standing behind Rosenbaum at the time. Folks, one of the basic rules of gun safety is to be sure of your target and everything behind and around it. Do not ever fire your weapon into the air like you see them do in the movies. The bullet can travel for miles and still be lethal. People have died because of morons doing this. Although Rittenhouse hasn't released a statement, speculation is that he may have heard this gunshot and thought he was being fired upon. Zeminski has a lengthy criminal history, which include weapons offenses, domestic abuse, disorderly conduct, hit and run, and others. With regards to this incident, he's been charged with bail jumping, obstructing or resisting an officer, disorderly conduct, and second-degree recklessly endangering safety. He's pleaded not guilty. And this is the stuff you won't hear about in the major news media, and we're just getting started. Listen to the next one. Here's 
If you're on the Wi-Fi in the coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government sensors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.bogosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home. And don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. So one of the big whines by news media reporters and pundits is how Kyle Rittenhouse illegally took a weapon across state lines. We've heard it over and over and over again, and it continues to be a big part of the narrative. But we've known it's false pretty much since the beginning. But they persist. So here's another story they won't be telling you about. An Illinois state prosecutor has publicly said that Rittenhouse will not be charged with any weapons charges in his home state. Please note that this doesn't in any way affect the Wisconsin charges we detailed in an earlier podcast. According to a statement released by State Attorney Michael G. Nerheim, quote, The investigation revealed the gun used in the Kenosha shooting was purchased, stored, and used in Wisconsin. Additionally, there is no evidence the gun was ever physically possessed by Kyle Rittenhouse in Illinois. They didn't release any details about whose gun it was or who gave it Rittenhouse. We know that it was given to him for the purposes of defending two mechanics shops in Kenosha, but nothing further has been released other than a defense statement saying that it belonged to a friend. It's also unclear if Rittenhouse would have faced charges if he had possessed the weapon in Illinois. With no evidence of the gun ever existing in Illinois, they didn't get to the question of what, if any, violations he might have faced. It's also unclear if he would have faced federal charges, but we know now he won't since the weapon would have had to have crossed state lines for federal firearms charges to apply. Leftists, undeterred, are still pointing to Rittenhouse as the epitome of right-wing domestic terrorism. A group of activists have even sued him over Facebook, even though there's no evidence they were even there. Rittenhouse is still in jail pending his extradition hearing on the 30th. Again, we wish him the best of luck. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. 
And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now. And now it's time to homologize this week's biggest bogun emitter. It's the New York Times again who's taken it before for attacking strong encryption, a big Sunday front smear of people such as Milton Friedman, their ridiculous scaremongering of nail salons, and their mayor Bill de Blasio forcing bars to serve alcohol to pregnant women. Yeah, we don't think much of the New York Times here. And they've taken it once again for demanding outright censorship of their own colleagues. Their union of employees, the New York Times Guild, and don't you just love it when they come right out and say it's a guild, condemned their own colleague, Brett Stevens, in a now-deleted tweet where they attacked him for criticizing their beloved Pulitzer Prize-winning 1619 project, which is about as historically accurate as the movie 300. Among their revisionism is the completely false contention that the Revolutionary War was fought to preserve slavery in the colonies. And in action straight out of the creationist playbook, they've tried to get their bogosity straight into school curriculums without the necessary historical reviews, which have been done and say they're completely wrong. And some, such as Brown University's Glenn Lowry, has publicly called on the Pulitzer board to revoke the award. They've also criticized the New York Times for stealth edits made long after publication without the edits even being noted, let alone explaining why they were made. Stevens did acknowledge the positive contributions the 1619 Project has made, but reviewed in detail the criticism of historians and other scholars in relevant fields, showing its central claims to be bogus, and said, quote, For all of its virtues, buzz, spin-offs, and a Pulitzer Prize, the 1619 Project has failed. But his fellow reporters don't believe he has any right expressing a critique of their negationist history. Their tweet against him managed to not only include projection, logical fallacies, and tyrannical decrees, but also bad grammar and more than one misspelling. The stated purpose of the journalists' union was to ensure greater editorial freedom. Now it's being used for the opposite effect, the silencing of journalists they don't agree with. As The Intercept's Glenn Greenwald said, what kind of journalists plead with management for greater restrictions on journalistic expression rather than fewer? In their tweet, they denounced the paper for going after one of its own, when they at that precise moment were doing exactly that. Of course, this is the same guild that called for sensitivity reads, which have been used to heavily censor articles and even books to, quote, vet the narrative for harmful stereotypes and suggested changes. On the other hand... They remained silent when the Times published an abominable piece of propaganda from the Chinese Communist Party defending the crackdown on Hong Kong. Absolutely no concern for the safety of their Hong Kong-based journalists. What they want is the opposite of journalism. They want stories told that they agree with, and everything else never to see the light of day. As Greenwald said, quote, I'm a journalist, and I know that journalism can have value only if it fosters divergent views and seeks to expand rather than reduce the freedom of discourse and expression permitted by society and by employers. And whatever one wants to say about Stephen's career and record of writing, and I've had a lot of negative things to say about it, 
harshly critiquing your own employer's Pulitzer Prize-winning series, one beloved by powerful media, political, and cultural figures, is the type of challenge to power that many journalists who do nothing but spout pleasing popular pieties love to preen as embodying. If you think Stevens was wrong, the thing to do is to publish your own article explaining why. If you don't, and you try to silence him instead, don't be surprised if the rest of us conclude that you don't have a leg to stand on and you know it. I'll let Greenwald have the last word. A belief in the virtues of free expression was once a cornerstone of the journalistic spirit. Guilds and unions fought against editorial control, not demanded greater amounts be imposed by management. They defended colleagues when they were accused by editorial or corporate bosses of rules violations, not publicly tattled and invited, even advocated for, workplace disciplinary measures. But a belief in free expression is being rapidly eclipsed in many societal sectors by a belief in the virtues of top-down managerial censorship, silencing, and enhanced workplace punishment for thought and speech transgressions. As this imperious but whiny New York Times Guild confirmation reflects, this trend can be seen most vividly and most destructively in mainstream American journalism. Nothing guts the core function of journalism more than this mindset. Right on, Greenwald, which is why we're giving the New York Times, along with its guild, another biggest bogani emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's indemnify this week's... Idiot And this week, it goes to Twitter for more outright censorship. Before, we let them have it for shutting down websites that posted archives of tweets from politicians that had been deleted. Remember that for later. So now we have leaked emails showing that Hunter Biden did, in fact, give that Ukrainian energy executive the opportunity to meet the vice president, introducing the two less than a year before Joe pressured officials in Ukraine to firing the prosecutor who was investigating Burisma. Vadim Pozharsky sent an email to Hunter Biden in April of 2015 thanking him for inviting him to D.C. and giving him an opportunity to meet Dadams. There are other emails, too, including one from a year before wondering how Hunter could use his influence on the company's behalf. One thing Joe Biden and his campaign are not doing is saying that the facts presented in the Post story are false. In fact, the Biden campaign, quote, would not rule out the possibility that the meeting with Joe Biden happened, even though Biden had previously said that he had, quote, 
never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. But Biden did brag to the Council on Foreign Relations in 2018, quote, I looked at them and said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor is not fired, you're not getting the money. The emails were recovered from a hard drive left with a laptop at a repair shop in Biden's home state of Delaware. The customer who dropped off the water-damaged laptop never returned for it. Although the shop owner couldn't positively identify the customer as Hunter Biden, the laptop did have a sticker from the Bo Biden Foundation on it. Both the computer and the external hard drive were seized by the FBI in December. Now, this New York Post article goes into a lot more detail about it, but I'm not getting into it because that's not really what this story is about. I'm not even going to get into whatever might show that the story is true or not. I'm covering this because Twitter is censoring the story every time someone tweets about it. Twitter's safety team wrote, The policy, established in 2018, prohibits the use of our service to distribute content obtained without authorization. We don't want to incentivize hacking by allowing Twitter to be used as distribution for possibly illegally obtained materials. They did this to James Woods, too, saying, We don't permit the use of our services to directly distribute content obtained through hacking that contains private information, may put people in physical harm or danger, or contains trade secrets. Facebook took a similar action, saying they will not allow the story to be distributed, even though it hasn't been fact-checked yet. There might be legitimate reasons to doubt the story. The screenshots of the emails don't include the full headers, including the all-important received headers and references line, and most telling if the server had digitally signed them. Presumably the FBI has the full emails, but absent a FOIA request, they don't seem to want to comment on what might be a pending investigation. But to completely censor the story? It isn't just about fact-checking. Whether it's true or false, apparently, Twitter won't allow it if it's information obtained through hacking. Glenn Greenwald tweeted, Look carefully at what Twitter is saying to justify censoring the Biden story. If applied consistently, it'd mean that some of history's most consequential journalism, the Pentagon Papers, WikiLeaks War Logs, Snowden Docs, Panama Papers, our Brazil Archive, would be banned. So much of the important journalism you read is based on a source providing to journalists content obtained without authorization. Beyond the above examples, why doesn't Twitter ban links to the NYT stories based on Trump's tax returns obtained without authorization? Please don't be deceived. The authoritarian mindset expressed below, celebrating mass censorship of journalism they dislike, is absolutely a significant strain in current U.S. liberalism, which is why so many of them cheered the stunning censorship yesterday. There is literally zero daylight between many, arguably most, national journalists reporting on the election and the Biden campaign. Does this sound like a journalist or a DNC operative? And, of course, they're going to the Russia playbook again based on anonymous CIA claims. For liberals arguing the tech giants are just private corporations who can do as they please, a free market absolutism not even radical libertarians espouse, read Matthew Stoller in the NYT Today on their monopolistic hold over the flow of information. And he links to an article from Stoller how Facebook and Twitter are going beyond just companies that let users post content and maybe moderate it on occasion to using the law to control the flow of information. And if you want an example of that, there was shutting down those archive sites I mentioned at the start of the segment. We've also covered the fact that Trump can't ban offensive posters from his personal Twitter because Twitter isn't an exclusive club. It's more of a town hall or a public square. 
Sorry, but you can't have it both ways. Even more than that, big players in the advertising business, as we've seen with YouTube before them, are using them to influence editorial choices beyond merely what gets posted to Facebook and Twitter. When a competitor like Gab or a prominent figure like Sargon of Akkad can't make it because these same entities control the news media and can trash them with fake stories of white supremacy, can cut off their advertising dollars, and even shut off their access to PayPal and Visa, there's a huge problem. As for leaked documents, of course they still need to be verified, that's important, but they're a lot more reliable than the anonymous source. As we've covered, anonymous sources giving information to the press is a way for politicians to get out propaganda claims without having to stand behind them. And also, Streisand effect anyone? How many people are talking about these emails who wouldn't have otherwise? If they want to compete as a private company in a free market, let them. But the way they've been going, they're just begging to be regulated and perhaps even broken up as a monopoly. So all of that has to make Twitter this week's... Idiot Well, that wraps up this post-Meridian, anti-Meridian, Uncle Meridian, and all the Little Meridians edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please keep this podcast going by subscribing and supporting in one of several different ways you can find at donate.bogosity.tv, including PayPal, cryptocurrency, or subscribing at Patreon or Subscribestar to listen early and ad-free. Also, please come to discord.bogosity.tv, where you can join the discussion and post a question, statement, news article, or rant. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Benjamin Tucker. Aggression is simply another name for government. He who attempts to control another is a governor, an aggressor, an invader. And the nature of such invasion is not changed, whether it is made by one man upon another man after the manner of the ordinary criminal, or by one man upon all other men after the manner of an absolute monarch, or by all other men upon one man after the manner of a modern democracy. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, not commercial, or derivatives, 4.0 international license. Bogosity. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins.